Well, listeners, you know, in life there are good ideas and there are bad ideas. And there are some ideas that, when you think about them, seem like they're good ones. And then when they leave your mouth or leave your mind and come out through your mouth or any other particular physical facility, you suddenly realise that they are, in fact, bad ideas. And perhaps I'll leave this intro up to your judgment on that one. But I can only apologise for the introduction to this week's show. Please stick it out because the rest of it is good. I promise. And howdy, Phil. How you doing there, y'all? Hey, Laurie. What's going on in we old little Britain town? That's not Britain town, man. We're in Nashville today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Listeners, welcome to the Country and Music and also Film Show. They're Super Brady Bros in Movie Land. Season 3, Episode 2. We're going to be reviewing loads and loads of films for you. That's right. I've been to see... I feel like this is too much, Phil. Carry on, carry on. Keep going. I've been to see All the Money in the World, Ridley Scott's controversial uh, new (laughs) biopic of uh, Jean-Paul Getty, and also Hostiles with Christian Bale and Ben Stitter in Brad's Status. What a lot of films, Laurie. I've been to see Molly's Game, that poker princess written by Aaron Sorkin and directed by him as well. Jessica Chastain plays the lead role, and my oh my, what a poker hand that film is. That's right. And I'm going to tone it down here because actually the Nashville country is a little more soft. Actually, they're, they're more professional like this. And they just say things like, howdy, y'all. Get me a beer over there. Yeah, that kind they're of just thing. They're just regular old folk, that's aren't they? That's right. That's right. Okay, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Of course, as always, we love to get your missives by email uh, or text. Not text. <laughs> tweet. <laughs> tweet and tweet. Please keep them coming in to superbradybros at gmail.com and at superbradybros on Twitter. And you can listen out for your towards the end of the show this week. Thank you so much to those feelers and What's the feelers? What are you saying? I'm trying to say American fellers. Fellers. And what would the female part be? Misses? Ladies? Ladies. Come on. Ladies. Thank you very much to those fellas and ladies who've been supporting us on Patreon.com forward slash Bailey I want to stop. Okay. (laughs) I really want to stop. Let's stop then. Listeners, welcome to the show. This is going to be a great one. We've got loads of films for you as as, uh, some. Slightly culturally insensitive, people said earlier. I don't think it's culturally insensitive. It's not know. necessarily great taste. You just, I think you, I the was, only reason we're doing this, and I'm backing you up here right now because this is your idea, Laurie. It was my idea. It's, it's just because I think you want to do a banjo intro. I did, it was in my head. Anyway, look, <laughs> let's get move right on past this. All those film systems are coming up. Keep your emails in. I've also got a discussion topic for us, as ever. And that's about it, actually. It's a big film extravaganza. We may even yet have The Greatest Showman with Judith as well, depending yes. on whether she can make she it here in time. literally watching it right now. Yeah, exactly. So we'll wait and see. And we might even cram in a few what we've been watching as well. Thank you very much for joining us again for Super Belly Bros in Movie Land. Please don't be put off by that country show. <laughs> Enjoy that. I think sometimes it gets to this part of the year, you know, January, and it's like the new season. We want to do something exciting and new, and we slightly lose our way. <laughs> and then we kind of figure it out towards the end of the year. Well, one can only hope. Um, I don't think there's anything more to say, actually, Phil. Oddly enough, we've blitzed through it fairly fast. Something about those folks down south. They know how to get a <laughs> show going. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think it's I wanted to go like, uh-huh, that kind of thing. Uh-huh, what's uh-huh? That's just what they say in Texas. But it's Texas. much, it's much it's harder Nashville. to do than Nashville's not in Texas. <laughs> is it not? Where's Nashville? I don't oh, know. Which is really everything about this needs to stop right now. <laughs> Uh, okay, should we get on with the show? Yeah. Please do get in touch, superbellybros, at gmail.com, at superbellybros on Twitter. Thanks so much to those of you who've done so. 
And please do get in touch with plus ones and minus ones. We didn't really finish this off, I don't think, properly at the end of last oh, that's season. Right. Yeah, I haven't tallied it. It's a brand new season where Laurie and I are going an ongoing competition. I think the first season of the show, I was the winner. I'm fairly certain Laurie won last year. Well, uh, I wonder I, why. I will look it up. I'll look it up and I'll announce it sometime soon. Yeah, but yeah, do let us know who you agree with more. We're very competitive. And look out uh, next week, probably, for our Star Wars email special. Phil and I are going to be going through all the stuff you've been sending in about The Last Jedi. Thank you so much for doing that over the Christmas break. And it's also looking very, very likely that I'll be joined by a special guest for that show, John Spearer, the director of Anyone Can Play Guitar and Elstree 1976, which actually follows some of the extras who filmed A New Hope. Uh, it's going to be joining me to talk about how he feels about the film, about what he learned when he was making Elstree 1976, and maybe I'll feed him one or two of your emails too. So don't miss your chance. Get your thoughts in if you haven't already. Yep, I think that literally is everything. Yes, so let's crank the show up. Ready? Like, but can you put the sound effect in? Because otherwise, you're going to play that and it just won't. I just think we need to move on. Now, here's the film that everyone is talking about for the most unusual and extraordinary reasons. This is All the Money in the World. It was a biopic focusing on the life of the Getty oil industry, its founder and what he hoped would become his dynasty. This is, I think his name is Jean-Paul Getty, and he had a son called John-Paul Jr., and then his son had a son called John-Paul Getty again, but he just goes by Paul in the film. And the real-life story, that grandson got kidnapped in Rome by a gang, uh, held to ransom, and then there was this whole business about the fact that the senior, the oil company owner, wanted to negotiate the ransom. And he said, well, look, if I pay the ransom, then all 14 of my grandchildren are going to get kidnapped. And everyone else around him is saying, well, your grandson's been kidnapped. What are you doing? Why aren't you paying? You're one of the do- richest persons in the world. Yeah, like this is this is a sort of pocket change for you. Why aren't you paying it up? And, you know, terrible things did happen uh, during this event, but after as well for all the people that are involved. But the thing is, all of this is just dwarfed by the fact that it was originally Kevin Spacey playing that old miserly billionaire role. And he was digitally or otherwise erased from the production and replaced by Christopher Plummer, who allegedly was uh, Ridley Scott's original choice for the role anyway. Um, So there's some mix of reshoots that went on. And despite what Ridley Scott says, I think there are some digital uh, editing tricks being used as well to insert him into the film. And so what is on our screens is one of the most bizarre things that has hit the screens for quite some time. Am I being fair about that, Phil? Well, I haven't seen the film, but it sounds a bit worrying when you have a role that was kind of trumped up in the advertising and all the trailers. It was very highly publicised that Kevin Spacey was playing this uh, this famous oil tycoon. And then it took them nine days, you were saying, off air? Like- yeah, so what Christopher Plummer, he did nine days of reshoots, but they basically around November 20th, this is when it all started and they had a month to hit the late december release so it wasn't just that they decided to erase kevin spacey it was that they decided to do it in an incredibly short amount of time and then push it out onto the cinemas they could have they had the option of course of delaying release because it's extraordinary circumstances right and then having to reshoot a lot more of it spend a lot more money and i believe someone was quoted as saying look that's going to kill the film even more than it's already dead basically so no the only thing to do is to somehow pull this off and get out in cinemas. We'll come on to all of that later on, but there's all the summary of the plot. Uh, You've got Mark Wahlberg, who's playing an aide to Mr. Getty. Uh, He's sort of a secret agent turned business deal maker. You've got Michelle Williams, who plays the mother. Gail Harris, the mother of the captured boy and daughter-in-law to the oil tycoon. And then Charlie Plummer plays uh, Paul Getty, the one who's kidnapped. I think that's everything we need to know. Sorry, it's a bit of a jumble. Should we hear the trailer? Yep. 
Let's do it. You carry a gun, Mr. Chase? I never bothered. Ruins the line of your suit. You used to be a spy. My child is a prisoner. $17 million. Oh, they will take his eye, his ear, the hand. And don't tell me you don't have the money. My former father-in-law only buys the best. It's time for you to do whatever it is he pays you to do. Let's hope you're half as good as everything else he's bought. You need to pay the ransom, Mr. Getty. I do not have the money to spare. No one has ever been richer than you are at this moment. What would it take for you to feel secure? More. More. I'm gonna find your son. Every threat. Unless that threat happens to be me. Paul, I just want to go home. Paul. I didn't hire an ex CIA officer just to pay people off. I hired you to do things that other people can't or won't do. To be willing to walk away. He's my son. I can't walk away. I don't think this is about money. It's about power. Power. Business. Terror. Tell him I'm coming. There we go. Doesn't sound like a fun movie, I'll be honest. It sounds intense and like you kind of just want it all to come to an end. It's an awkward situation. It's not a fun situation. It's not, there's nothing really thrilling. It's just an awful situation, isn't it? Yeah, it's an interesting film to make. And I know that there have been books written about it and it is kind of fascinating. You know, it's it's not the last we're going to hear of it either. There's going to be a series called Trust made about it as well on TV later this year. And for all its sort of horrible um, connotations and the fact that it was real and really happened and the stuff that really did happen, it goes into quite a lot of detail, listeners, that is genuinely unpleasant. I think it's just fascinating because it delves into that question, what does endless wealth look like and what does it do to somebody? How is it that these people, the 1% of the 1% exist? There's an interesting line quite early on where the grandson is talking about something his grandfather has told him and he says that although we look like other people, we aren't really like them, which I thought was an interesting thing to say. I'd love to know that that's an actual quote because that speaks to something that we're all kind of aware of, aren't we? The idea that these people who are born into stratospheric wealth do literally exist in another stratosphere. They live in a different world. Yeah, completely. And so I think that's the fascination behind it and perhaps less so the kidnapping of it as well. Now, let's just quickly get the, you know, the stuff out of the way. So I think it's obvious that Christopher Plummer has been inserted into this film and you can't not know it going into it either, which I I find annoying. I think, listeners, you'll know from other films we've reviewed that stuff uh, that kind of is around the story of the filmmaking, it really bugs me when that is a bigger story than the film. The same thing happened with Ghostbusters where... You know, there was all this furore going on in the press. And so when you went into it, you went into it so loaded with opinions and ideas that it was impossible really to see it just as a film anymore. It was a statement or it was an event or something like that. And 
that's just really frustrating because it means it's either going to get too harsh or too positive thoughts on the whole, isn't it? And you just want to take it as a film. And I have to admit, I slightly feel the same here. And the thing, it's done for very good reasons. And I I can see why there was this dilemma from the filmmakers because they didn't want it to die. They'd invested a lot in it. They've obviously worked incredibly hard to tie it together and make it compelling and intense. Because it's not just one man, is it? No, no, absolutely not. It's a huge crew. It's years of work and preparation and a lot of money. Scriptwriters, directors, directors of photography, all sorts. But I admit, I kind of think, I wish they'd just delayed it and done it properly because the way that this happens now, it's in such a grip of everything else that... It's just so hard to take it on its own terms. And it really bugged me. And I feel like that can't not influence my opinion of the film. Who is the film really about, though? That's the thing which I'm struggling to kind of get my head around. Because from what I understood, uh, the role that Spacey was going to play was very small. It was like a side character in a kind of looming presence over the, the story. But his actual screen time is very minimal. Yeah, that's really true. And it's true. much more about the the wife or so, the yeah, daughter. Yeah, it's about Gail, Michelle Williams's character, because and and it's a lot to do with her relationship with the with John Paul Getty, because she makes a statement in the film that she's not a real Getty because she was grafted into the family. She had marital problems with the you know the heir to this empire and everything else, and she did things that he didn't understand because she appears to be someone who isn't focused on money, whereas he lives his entire life that way. There's a great fact. This is really true that he installed an old London telephone box in his estate in England so that if you're a guest you could pay for your call <laughs> to whoever you wanted to call and you know the guy is quoted as saying oh it's just because I had loads of people coming to make deals and often they would be representatives from overseas so all of a sudden they'd all be making calls back home and they were long distance calls and suddenly the phone bills start racking up <laughs> and I'm paying for everyone else's business meetings in my own house so instead I thought people would want to use a paper <laughs> and, and it's an awful moment where he forces you know his daughter-in-law to use a payphone. it just yeah so yeah she's definitely the star of the show Christopher Plummer's character is certainly off in the sidelines but as you're right Phil a looming presence and actually that's part of the way that the film needs to be because the whole point is he makes himself unavailable even in a crisis like this he's behind several layers of stooges or doors or technology or protocol and so he's constantly locked away and there's only a very few people with special access one of whom is Mark Wahlberg's uh, ex-CIA guy who comes in to try and resolve the hostage situation ideally without paying the money he's employed by John Paul Getty to do this now I don't know whether Mark Wahlberg's character who's called Chase is a real character or not but I gotta say for me one of the brightest sparks this whole film was it looks like Mark Wahlberg can play a secret agent <laughs> he sort of he got away Didn't with you learn that from uh, Shooter or whatever she, no, Shooter is awful. No, no, no. That's one of the things that made me think he's not the right man for the job. But actually, he can carry off uh, debonair intelligence pretty well, actually. And I thought he was a surprisingly charismatic hook for the film. And he worked well with Michelle Williams' character, who is distraught and tense, but has this core of steel about her right the way through. The only thing is, it's just Christopher Plummer, basically. I, like He acts it really, really well. But you can just tell... Like the lighting, the tone of the scenes, the way that stuff is edited, he's so isolated. It's just so obvious that it brings the rest of the film apart. More credit, I I think, has to go to Charlie Plummer, who's the young guy who is kidnapped. And he's very believably uh, naive. So even in the middle of his kidnapping, he seems to feel like he has a rapport with people and he seems to kind of coast along in this odd bubble of stuff that's going on. And and I was just really impressed by the way that he handled the scenes. He was quite compelling and he managed to communicate this feeling of hope that you're always thinking there is hope just around the corner. And it was a lot to do with his performance. So, 
Look, there's a lot of there's a lot to recommend it. It's very tense. It's draining. Uh, it go, feels like it goes on too long, and I think that is the true story effect where you can't play too fast and loose with things. Uh, but on the whole, if you can get away from the Christopher Plummer, Kevin Spacey stuff, it's pretty good. Well, it's interesting you mention that because I, I feel like the nature of the film is that nothing will really change. It's not like things, it's a situation which unfolds like quickly or easily or in a kind of narratively enticing way. It is just sort of almost stagnant, and there's a stalemate, isn't there? That's right. It? Yeah, that's and the whole so thing. That, the film, I, it kind of sounds like it's frustrating. Well, then that the thing is, there's nothing wrong with that because it is meant to be that way. And you're, and uh, Michelle Williams's character is the conduit for this, and you really are behind her, thinking like, how is it possible that she's being treated like this? And isn't it amazing? Not that just that she doesn't give up, but that she is restrained, like she's sensible and she's wise even when any normal person would be tearing out their hair, smashing windows, trying to march into this guy's office to beat him up, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't really... I I'm sort of feel a bit muddled about it, to be honest, because, like I said... It's so blurry because of outside circumstances. Yeah, it's a, a bit of a mess. Um, but what? yeah, I'd be really interested to know what anyone else thinks that has seen it. From me, it gets a B. Just a B? I okay. think so, yeah. I mean, it's not one I'm anxious to watch again, certainly. Any bonuses or that's it? I don't think so, No. <laughs> Listeners, you've probably heard of Aaron Sorkin, but if in case you haven't, he is the guy behind some of the biggest movies that have come out, I'd say. He's a very well-regarded name in screenwriting. He has written A Few Good Men. He was behind The West Wing, that super popular TV show that is currently sitting just behind Laurie's head. Yes, it is, yeah. I've not actually watched it, though. I've watched about three episodes. But loads of people love it, just because Laurie doesn't, doesn't <laughs> it's mean... It's not I don't love it, I just haven't, I just haven't really got there yet, man. He I'll also wrote The Social Network, he was the guy that Sony hired to do the Steve Jobs movie, and he's able to crank out these very well-regarded films that have uh, strong themes, strong characters, and he's particularly renowned for his dialogue. The reason why I mention him so much is because he not only wrote this film based on Molly Bloom's book, uh, Molly's Game, but also directed it as well. And it's Did his he? I didn't debut. actually know that. Yeah, it's his debut, I believe. How about that? Aaron Sorkin behind the camera. Exactly. So I was, I didn't know this going into the film. I found out afterwards uh, when his name popped up, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. Um, this follows Molly Bloom, who is behind one of the most high-profile sort of secret poker games that there were in Los Angeles for a long time and then in New York. She would be organising a poker game uh, for high stakes players for some of the elite of Hollywood for the elite of Manhattan and they'd spend big money and they'd also lose big money and she was involved was she hosting was she doing something illegal it's very hard to tell and it all starts the the movie starts with her kind of giving an account to the audience uh, about her life how she started out as a, a high level skier and then had an accident and that all Wasn't went wrong. Wasn't she Olympic skier? Yeah so she's involved in the Olympics trying out for that that all went wrong and then she ended up pursuing this activity kind of out the blue even though she has super high smarts she's uh, on paper has a, the best resume you could ask for for some reason she was drawn to this illegal activity Interesting. and uh, here's a trailer that kind of covers it all Jessica Chastain is behind the lead role you've got Idris Elba in there as well uh, you've got Michael Sarah and Kevin Costner it's uh, an odd cast here's the trailer I'm Molly Bloom do you know about me? I read your indictment after I got your call last night and I bought your book do you understand that you are charged with operating an illegal gambling business? Are you taking me on as a client? I don't think I can convince my partners to take a flyer on the poke princess. If you think a princess can do what I did, you're incorrect. I'm getting that you don't think much of me, but what if every single one of your ill-informed, unsophisticated opinions about me were wrong? 
be amazed. This is a true story, but except for my own, I've changed all the names. And Molly, my weekly poker game is moving to the Cobra Lounge. You'll help run it. I was in a room with movie stars, directors, and business titans. They were going all in, all the time. Thank you, Molly. This is for you. Thank you so much. I'm gonna stop paying you. As my assistant. You firing me? I'm not firing you. I'm just gonna stop paying you. You get paid once a week from the game. It doesn't seem fair. You're gonna stop paying me because I'm making too much money doing my second job, and if I say no, I'll lose both jobs because it doesn't seem fair? You don't have bargaining power here. You are unimportant. Do you know how many witches were burned in Salem? How many? None. They didn't burn witches. It's a myth. They hanged them. The humiliation had given way to blinding anger at my powerlessness. I wasn't gonna wait before I put a plan in place. I'll be hosting a game in this suite every Tuesday night. First buy-in, 250,000. That's gonna make noise. Let's play. We spent eight years in Hollywood and two years in New York running the world's most exclusive and decadent man cave. Have you seen the other names in your indictment? Come on, Marty, just how deep into the Russian mob were you? Your exposure's crazy. You got 2.8 million on the street right now. You're gonna get blown up. You managed to build a multi-million dollar business using not much more than your wits. I'm about to be charged in federal court. Well, nobody's perfect. There's a new offer on the table. Complete immunity. We hand over the hard drive. You see what's on those hard drives? Families, lives, careers will be ruined. Why are you in this alone? Where are the people you're protecting by not telling the whole story? I'll tell them everything they want to know about me. About me. That's it. This is an interesting one. It's getting a lot of buzz. A lot of people talking about Jessica Chastain and Aaron Sorkin. A lot of people talking about Molly Bloom in very positive terms. Like she's kind of a hero and a bit of an icon. Yeah, which is bizarre. I find the whole film, I don't really know what to make of it. Because really? the as you heard from the trailer there, the big thing with Molly's situation is that she uh, it, it gets busted by the FBI. She gets literally um, arrested at gunpoint by the FBI for running an illegal gambling ring and having ties to the Russian mobs and all sorts of nasty, horrible people. And uh, she maintains that she she did some things which were sort of illegal, but she wasn't that bad. Um, but the key thing is, is she has lots of information because of these games that she was doing. She is acquired just from listening all this information about these high profile people, secrets, lies, sex videotapes, all the sort of things that you'd expect. But she refuses to release any of that information. She refuses to admit who was playing in her games, who was part of her little groups doing these poker games. She will not give away the names. And this movie and Aaron Sorkin has gone uh, at a great length and made even a plot point of the whole movie about why she would do that. She... It's not the the games that she's playing. It's not the celebrities that she's doing these poker matches with, the Hollywood movie stars. That's not what the film wants to be interested in. They Instead, they want to be interested in Molly's character and focus in why she is interesting. Her story is interesting enough. You don't need the celebrity gossip around it. Interesting. Although That's, that is presumably a massive part of the film's selling point. Yeah. So this is the dilemma I have because the whole film is constructed around that being a key part of her identity and why she's an interesting character because she wouldn't sell out these names, even though it would mean her freedom and immunity and getting that deal that you heard Idris talking about. And that's the kind of key conflict of the film. Why would she do this? It's telling you the story of how it all came about, some of the incidences, but really it's the main focus of the film is her situation and whether or not she will crack under the pressure 
and re- reveal these names? Why wouldn't she reveal them? So here, my, my question's for you, Phil, right off the bat. I've got a couple of things. I don't know enough about the story yet, although I have looked up a few things. And I do know a few of the celebrities who are in it. But, you know, some of them, them were revealed because of uh, a situation. But she maintains that she was not the one who re- revealed no, those. No, but now she happily talks about them. Because they've already been revealed. Because now us. everyone had secrets out. She can chat about them. Should I say who they are just quickly? Uh, I kind of want to hold off All a right, little bit. Do that towards the end. But my big question is kind of linked to that one earlier. Like, it is the film that is going into a huge amount of detail about a real criminal operation, basically. Somebody makes good decisions, but also bad decisions and takes a lot of risks. I feel like you need to really sympathise with that character throughout the whole film and identify with them in order to actually enjoy what you're watching. Otherwise, it's just like seeing someone commit loads of organised crime. <laughs> and that doesn't doesn't immediately make me feel warmly towards it. Because, you know, a film like Goodfellas, for example, the whole point about that is... is it's, it's glamorous, isn't it? It's gangsters, and there's that kind of... It's like seductive. this weird subculture and subworld. Whereas this is just high-stakes poker. Like, But maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe there is a glamorous subculture here. Tell me, Phil. Well, so the whole point of... The th- the, the, the whole point of the situation the whole thing about the film is she's playing with Hollywood movie stars and she's playing with like directors and the Hollywood elite and people who are worth millions billions and like she is organising this game where they play for a lot of money like high stakes games where they get into serious problems where they seriously take over people's cash and uh, the players that are playing in these games are shown to be a little bit duplicitous uh, dodgy behind the scenes uh, are, are really doing horrible things and living kind of double lives against their public persona and she's right. seeing the real them them as they crush their opponents in poker and take them for everything they have those people who get into massive debts and they ruin their lives back home those who have drunk drinking problems alcohol problems it's all it's all around that and the thing which i found so frustrating about the whole film is the whole time i'm thinking okay so you're not going to tell me the names but who are the people? I want to know who the people are. Why do I care if I don't know who the people are? You're is telling that why me... you watch it? Is that the interesting well, thing? Well, the thing is, is like you can't get around that question, just like you were saying about all the money in the world. Like, so much of the, the thing is not the film. It's the stuff around it. And you can't... You can, it's almost like a question that the, the filmmakers are pretending are not there. And there's a, there's a character which is... Uh, uh, one of the main poker players is called Player X in the film. Right. And uh, he's played by Michael Serra. And he's presented as this Hollywood movie star. And so you've got Ho- Michael Serra, who is an odd-looking man, to say the least. Yeah, he's and distinctive. He's, yes. And he's not really known for being this charming smoozer who's presented in, like, this... He's Like, they do f- fast cuts of him on magazines and photo shoots. And it's Michael Serra's sort of weird <laughs> bird eyes, like, on the screen. And you think... You can't get confronted with that piece of casting. With that, Michael Cera is a, a decent actor when he's on, got the right character or the right role. He does a good, good job, actually, but he's such an odd-looking guy and he's playing this movie star that everyone wants to play poker with. And all I could think for the entire movie was, who is he then? Who, tell me who he is. I need to know who he is. Yeah. And that is so frustrating. So, I mean, is that a problem with you or is that a problem with the film? I think it's a problem with the whole situation because... The reason why people care about Molly Bloom at all is because she's playing with important people. She is not that important in and of herself. It's the people she's playing with. It's the subculture she's in. You want to get the goss, the inside, like insight into what these people are actually like. And in some ways, unless you have the real context of these people, who they are, even if it was just a suggestion of who they might be representing, it would mean that it would mean... It would mean that the the whole situation of this poker game would matter so much more. Instead, it's all anonymous, and they make very make it very clear up front that all the names have been changed and everything like that. So you don't really know who they are, and instead, it focuses exactly on Molly. Well, and then you yeah. hit the other main problem of the film, which is 
the casting as a whole is really problematic. Like Michael Sarah, you don't think of him as a movie star. And then with Jessica Chastain, who gets a lot of credit, it seems to be in like news and reports, and and she's got a lot of credit as an actress. I think she is a good actress. Yeah, I she's still great. maintain. I think her best role is when she was in The Help. But oh yeah, that's right. She was really good in that. She's really pretty. good, and it's completely not her character now. This is much more like the Zero Dark Thirty a version of Jessica Chastain, where she's cold and steely, and you get the sense that what she's that, really um, the lobbyist film again. Uh, Miss Sloan. Miss Sloan as well. Yeah. It's that same sort of. It's the same thing I've seen Jessica Chastain do a number of times now, where she's cold, she's calculating, and uh, you really feel that she's not a woman to be messed with. And I don't think that applies well with Molly's character at all. I think it's really bad miscasting because the whole thing about Molly is that she is hosting this poker game. She's attracting and uh, getting alongside these big names. She's charming. Making, like she's got charisma. Yeah, she, wants, she wants them to lay out the money on the table. Yeah, she, yeah, the whole thing she's doing is making them feel comfortable. She's a charmer. She's a smoother. And Jessica Chastain spends a whole movie being a little bit steely and cold and being like, oh, stupid men, pig. Like, I'm going to put you in your place. And you just think nobody would be that seduced by Molly as a character if it's like Jessica Chastain. She doesn't fit the role at all. And what's also awkward is the fact that she presents the core traits of Molly's character on the outside. And so when she's presented as strong and tough and smart on the outside... You instead then look in deeper, and when you go beyond the hard exterior, suddenly she looks kind of feeble and weak. Yeah, I and don't like, really understand your last point. I don't. How how is that in the film? Like it's just somehow the way she does because she's so upfront, strong, and uh, determined. Immediately, the only way that the character can really go as the film progresses, as it's oh, revealed, is to, oh, is to come back from that. Is to go oh, so, back so you and can't go, get even stronger. No, it's like yeah, you're no, already at the max. You can't have a harder, see what you harder mean. call. So like you're hard the on the outside. Arc, the only thing to do is discover the tender insecurity or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I get you. Right, whereas actually, you kind of want it to be the other way around. You yeah, want you her want to her be to... all charming and bubbly, and then realise that no, this woman is made of steel, and she's really smart, and she knows yeah. what she's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so I think the casting was completely off, and actually Jessica Chastain's performance makes Molly's character less interesting. Well, that sounds like Aaron Sorkin messed it up as well in the writing, to be honest, Phil. I don't think that is the case. I think it's largely down to a performance. I actually no, think but that's the screenplay, isn't it? If all those characteristics are out on the surface, and and she's you know putting people in their place, that's the writing. That's and he's the director. He is directing her to play Molly that way. And I writing think her that way. I'm, I know what you're saying, but I think another actress would have played the earlier scenes differently, so that she was warmer, more charming, more seductive, and more just sell that side of it more so that later on she seems her determination comes through whereas I think as you say it starts to crack as the film goes on rather than revealing something core two more questions for you Phil number one is related to all this um so one of the key things here is that if that's right and if it's focusing on Molly we try and let go of the celebrity thing not knowing who they are we encounter Molly as this sort of cold hard person everything else is it an interesting story without the celebrities does it have enough sort of to get up and go yeah, but the thing is, is all the moments are related to the celebrities and who they are. But I what... thought, like she, like you said, she got in trouble with the mob and stuff. Well, I, w- I don't want to spoil the film or anything like that, but the film is, um, it doesn't necessarily focus on the steps that lead to her situation developing. It kind of is more just like a general sweep of her, her life. And it doesn't really show the evolving process as much. It's more like little moments and how they lead on to the next moment and the next moment. And so that's why I think it's so important you have the context to who these people yeah, are. Yeah, that does. I mean, I have to admit, unless it is a sort of tense, whoa, that happened, so therefore this is going to happen, then that's an odd way to play it. It's just It just means that you're stuck because you kind of think, well, that's this player X is a, a Hollywood movie star. But until I really know who he is, I don't really know how to 
had because, a place to him in because reality. the whole point is is you, unless you have that contrast between their public persona and the reality it doesn't really mean anything got if it, they're a bit of a bit of an idiot my second question is aaron sorkin does he sink or swim as a director then I thought the film was directed well. It was competent. I didn't think, oh, this is directed poorly. What I am surprised by is that he's renowned for his dialogue. And I think what is the flaw in his direction is he's a little bit indulgent of his own script. Right. And rather than having that sort of relentless pace, he sort of seems to let the language overtake the editing and the the, the pace of the film. And the characterization doesn't have that same ruthlessness. Uh, so you look at something like the social network and all those characters are there's so much drive to every single one of yeah, them yeah very a lot and, of pace to that yeah there's a lot of pace and it's quite a complicated film and in some ways it's quite similar because it's sort of uh, a rise and fall story with uh nasty people and high profile people yeah yeah yeah. and it's sort of based on a true story and all that sort of stuff and so it's really interesting seeing molly's game in light of the social network where the words are the same but the the direction is it's not as tight a film molly's game but i did enjoy it i just think it could have been so much better and then there's natural frustrations with the story basically there we go well what's the grade i think we can give it a b plus i think what you sound it made it sound bad man Oh no, I I think it just was maybe it's maybe it's difficult because I've seen the film and I know I liked it, but I think it was just frustrating because I could so easily see how I'd fixed the film and I think casting is one of the major issues and I think Jessica Chastain slightly ruins it. Would you want, shall I say who these stars are then? Cuz Michael Sarah, I definitely know who that well, is. Well, I don't know if that's like ruins the spirit of the film because well, the whole point is that would have improved it for you to be yeah, honest. Yeah, I but think that, it probably that would. information is very out there in the public domain. So I uh, rather than saying who this player X definitely is, I'm going to say the types of the people that were in the poker game. Well, I can give you three celebrities who were definitely in it. Yeah. So Leonardo DiCaprio, Ben Affleck, uh, Toby Maguire I think Matt Damon turned up for one game and then there were some other people as well yeah yeah so that's just maybe some colour to help inform how you view these characters which I think adds to the film there we go alright thanks man anything else to say any bonuses that's it I think just get in touch if you see Molly's game with your thoughts superbabybros at gmail.com or tweet us at superbabybros right phil question for you here Hit now me up. we watch a lot of films and we watch them back to back sometimes i certainly do i don't know whether you do anymore back to back what do you mean well just like one day after another or sometimes more than one on a day yeah i've done that yeah so like this week i've this film screenings i saw three in one day which is pretty tough going actually like it's a you, lot of film you get filmitis whatever it is <laughs> and it's just like oh. but one of the things that i found myself doing without even really meaning to i think because you watch them a lot is no, like noticing things that the film is doing that it's got nothing to do with what's on screen, really, or the actors or the story or anything, the dialogue, but little uh, technical tricks and things that go on. And I don't consider myself at all, listeners, to be an expert at this, but it's just, it's so, it's strange to me, the stuff that I've kind of noticed. And there's one particular one that really stands out to me. And I want to know whether you do this and whether you've got any other examples, Phil. And listeners, whether you, whether you know it or not, I've picked up on these as well. So I was watching a film called A Woman's Life, which I'll review next week. It's a French language film. And there was a scene where the main character is doing a monologue and it's a serious monologue uh, and someone else is talking to her as well, but they're off camera. All we can see is her. And the, it was staged and framed in such a way and the dialogue was such that I thought to myself, slow zoom. It's got to be a slow zoom. <laughs> like, it's a, it's they're a, zooming slowly. Yes, it's an important conversation where either a plot point or an emotion, a character point is really going to be made really strongly and we're going to see it in their face 
we're going to hear it in their voice and therefore it's right that they dominate the frame but just to trick the viewer into giving this conversation more weight the camera is going to imperceptibly move closer and closer closer towards them until all of a sudden there they are close up <laughs> and so the minute i kind of sense that i've noticed my eyes just look to the left of the frame and spot like a like i don't know a flower in the curtain or something and wait for it to edge past the side of the frame where they're like yep slow zoom it's like <laughs> it's, you're checking the progress zoom. on a on an installation on a computer or whatever when you yeah. know when you're slightly nervous like is it actually moving and then you kind of put your finger there just to track Has is it, it moved? actually moved <laughs> yeah yeah but do you know what i mean by that like and i just noticed it again and again and it's something i my brain is constantly looking for and spotting and i get a little sort of uh, tickle of pleasure thinking oh yeah slow zoom i'm on it <laughs> you can't fool me filmmakers exactly yeah, got, yeah. i'm onto your game do you have anything like that there are loads of little camera techniques that if you watch and 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 watch youtube videos where they analyze it all and stuff like that you start learning sort of the film language and why they choose certain camera shots and things like that um the one which is always stands out to me is anytime they show uh, a character from above um or the camera looking down on them it's to try and make them look weak and like weedy think like frodo and lord of the rings yeah sure or if they want to make them look powerful they put the camera really low, low and, angles. Then, and then they stand big and tall like a tree or whatever and it's just what's i i think the slow zoom is the thing which really slightly bothers me actually it's, really? it's funny that you point it out because it's just so overtly i'm trying to suck you in with but it's my not camera overt. like it sometimes they're so slow you really have to look at the edge quite closely yeah, and I. It, but it's bad if you start noticing these things. In some ways, I feel like bad. we're giving a curse to the listeners because <laughs> once you start noticing these filmmaking techniques, and if they're not as subtle or as clever, you really can start unpicking what they're trying to do with certain scenes. Like they're trying to establish this character as X or Y, and sometimes that can really not pay in your favour, especially if you've got characters where their their intentions are hidden. So, like, again, I, for some reason, Lord of the Rings is just in my head. But, like, <laughs> they they definitely shot Aragorn as very kingly, didn't they? Like, a bit too That's early. That's true. I know what you mean. And so you knew that he wasn't, like, he wasn't just a ranger. You, like, you already knew immediately from the get-go, even if you know, like, didn't really know anything about Lord like, of the Rings. Like, the first time you see him, he's literally in shadow. He's, <laughs> he's like, oh. a mysterious man. But then <laughs> a very, that? like, so quickly, he is not a mysterious man. He is, yeah. oh, that's Aragorn. He's a, he's a big deal. He's speaking like, with a Cornish <laughs> accent to begin with as well. It makes me laugh. Uh, yeah, no, you're right right man what's interesting about this as well is uh, i was watching uh, the intern with my wife and actually we're going to cover that on what we've been watching later on and she was getting there way ahead of me as well like so there's a particular thing where uh, anna hathaway's character is sending a message anna hathaway and <laughs> anna hathaway she's sending a message and jude immediately said oh she's gonna send it to her mum and i was like what are you talking about <laughs> and then she did that's exactly Filmic what she seance. did like judith was just on it and it's and she's totally right and then looking back you can see it it's because the architecture why have we got a shot of this phone why have we got this shot why have we cut back here and now there's no, there's right she was absolutely right there was nowhere else for that scene to go but that outcome and i do love that kind of thing and again i don't want to curse the listeners as you put it phil but the chekhov gun thing is really oh it's so massively strong explain chekhov's gun yeah so chekhov's gun i can't remember who it was who said it chekhov (laughs) no i'm joking (laughs) it may well have been but it was i think it was actually about stage writing or playwriting or something like that more than something like in act one if you introduce a gun uh, if there's a gun on the wall by act three it should be fired that's right you can't have a gun on the wall unless it's going to be fired otherwise there's no point to it being there and that sounds over the top listeners but it's incredible how much that is true in filmmaking and stories as well because if you have ever lead a film with a sense that oh i feel like there was stuff that was unresolved or what was the point of that where's the climax it's possibly because stuff got set up 
Chefcock gun style and then not resolve basically but then like it's bad because like a film like Paddington Bear 2 uh, which everyone loves. Oh, this is the thing you I said. I got really yeah. You you said when your review screenplay is very tight. Yeah. yeah, you said it's a very tight film, but I felt like it was just a really like join the dots up film because literally every single thing which is introduced in the first act is then paid off in the last act. Chekhov's guns, and like, like they don't mention it unless it's the train have a sequence or whatever. Yeah. Is all Chekhov's guns? The fact that the the the, bo- the uh, what's his name? I don't even know the, the boys. boys. Saying he's not he's not into steam trains anymore. And then lo and behold, they have a tra- steam train thing at the very end. Like what a <laughs> and like it's just difficult because it means that you start realizing how they're they're positioning the audience just just right so that the magic trick will work out. It's true, it's true. But then it's worth celebrating films that break the mould. And I, I disagree with you, Phil. I don't think it's a curse. I think it's enjoyable to notice this stuff the more you watch because then when you watch a film that breaks those rules, you can see why they've done it and the power it gives because we watched Lost in Translation again yesterday I love that film <laughs> oh now, really I'm it's, not even kidding episode 2 of season 3 every, already mentioned it already mentioned time, it every time I watch it I like it more and every time I watch it I forget that the scene is coming I'm like oh yeah and there's this bit and I think it's because it's incredibly free of exactly that kind of film. it doesn't making. have those normal conventions no and what it does have instead is it has incredibly short clip scenes with a static camera that are they have nothing to do with anything else they join the dots but for characters and for a sense of the progression of time, but they're incredibly loose. Like, it really breaks a lot of rules. If you watch it, check out for a scene where Scarlett Johansson just dives into a swimming pool. It's completely isolated. It's brilliantly edited. Like, the cut is so soon, and it's never returned to. Another shot of her in the bath as well, where she's just looking out the window with earphones on. There is nothing about either of those scenes that bears any relevance to anything else, but it works. It creates that unique atmosphere. Sorry, I'm going on way too long, but anyway. Any others you want to say, Phil, before we throw this out to the listeners? Well, I'd be interested to know when uh, when it hasn't worked, when you started noticing camera techniques or filmmaking things. It's not necessarily in the script as much, uh, unless the Paddington Bear 2 thing, but more camera work in particular. That's what I'm really interested in, is how you uh, spot the filmmaker slowly positioning things so that it has a payoff down the road. Nice. All right, there we go, listeners. A bit nebulous this week, but send it to superbellybros at gmail.com at superbellybros on Twitter. Okay, man, I'm going to do two film reviews in a row here and they're going to be quick. Yeah, quick fire, rapid fire. I have seen, and I'm going to play the trailer immediately afterwards, so get ready, Hostiles. I don't know how you've done all these years. Seeing all the things you've seen, doing all the things you've done, makes you feel inhuman after a while. Captain, you do know Chief Yellow Hawk. The Army wants to be certain that the Chief gets home to Montana safely without incident. I don't have any idea what he's done. He's a butcher. And the two of you ought to get along just fine. I've killed savages because that's my job. You have no idea what war it does to a man. I hate him. I got a war bag of reasons to hate him. This will be done, and it will be done by you. Parade's over. Put him in chains. You believe in the Lord, Joseph? Yes, I do. But he's been blind to what's going on out here for a long time. If I did not have faith, what would I have? No, I've killed everything. 
afraid of. You just gotta take your news. We both know it could just as easily be you sitting here in these chains. Sometimes I envy the finality of death. The certainty. And I have to drive those thoughts away when I'm weak. Understand this. When we lay our heads down out here, we're all prisoners. And there we go, a cheerful one to start off uh, my double bill review here. This is Christian Bale starring as Captain Blocker. He's a grizzled veteran of uh, the war between the American settlers and the Native Americans on the land. This is towards the end of that conflict when Native Americans are basically just being rounded up and carted off the land or put in prison. And Captain Blocker, Christian Bale's character, has a horrible history with these guys. He's been incredibly violent and committed atrocities. He's witnessed atrocities being committed by Native Americans to his own friends as well. So... You heard in that trailer there, he said he's got a war bag of reasons to hate uh, these guys because of the conflict that's been involved. And he appears to kind of hate himself a bit as well. He's very bitter, very withdrawn. And the only place he seems to feel at home is with his brothers in arms, with whom he shared, you know, the horrible lows of this kind of life, but also the highs of camaraderie and everything else and surviving a firefight, blah, 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 blah. So his world, get, world gets turned upside down when he discovers he's going to have to take Chief Yellowhawk, played by Wes Studi or Study, uh, across the state line, I think, to his ritual burial ground. And he just thinks, what? Are you kidding? I've seen this guy in battle. I've seen what he's done. You are having a laugh if you expect me to do that and keep this man alive. But his commanding officer says, I don't trust anyone else to do it. You are the man to do it and you will do it or I'm going to take away your pension. Cue the most miserable road trip in existence, right? All these grizzled, <laughs> miserable uh, American soldiers uh, taking these American Indians in chains to a ritual burial ground. Is it almost, like a reverse Saving Private Ryan? Sort of, maybe. Uh, almost immediately they run into Rosamund Pike, who's had even more misery before her. She's on her own. I'm not going to tell you why, but it's awful. Awful, awful, awful what happened to her. So she is traumatised, especially when she sees the prisoners that they're bringing with them. But because they want to keep her safe, they take her along with them. And it's, yeah, that's it. It's a sort of road movie, but on horses and in the Old West. And they have to fight the Comanche, I think they are, who are out to attack them. Not just them, but the Cheyenne, the Chief Yellowhawk and his people as well. They have to fight them off. They've got to try and make it. Are you, are you feeling tense, Phil? Does this interest you? I'm, I'll be honest, it sounds so bleak and not fun and not like pleasant that it doesn't doesn't interest me well i think unfortunately I, I believe your instincts are right on this one phil i think this kind of western does have a place a lot of people are comparing it to unforgiven which is clint eastwood's kind of modern western or anti-western whatever you want to call it where he plays a real western anti-hero that looks at the reality behind some of the romanticism unforgiven is a really spectacular film very challenging but have you seen that no i'd you've like to you've got to watch unforgiven it is really interesting and i can see why it's had such a lasting legacy this film ain't no unforgiven what this film is is slow beyond belief uh self-indulgent and kind of i think maybe that's all down to an over-reverence for the screenplay. It's written by a guy called Donald E. Stewart, who is a 1980s guy. Uh, he wrote Clear and Present Danger, Hunt for Red October, Patriot Games, I think, as well. Okay. Uh, uh, so that's Jack Ryan. Uh, or I think that's Tom Clancy, isn't it? Adaptations of his work. And he's a bit of a legend. This is a script he wrote back then. And Scott Cooper, who's the director, has decided to produce it now. Scott Cooper did Out of the Furnace, which also starred Christian Bale and Woody Harrelson. You didn't really like that one, did you? No, very similar film, actually. Um, and then he also did Crazy Heart with Jeff Bridges, the country... Uh, music film yeah that's also quite bleak, yeah i think the guy has one trick up his sleeve and it's the misery 
of, really uh, of romanticized ideals. Yeah, let's go and look at and make this as miserable as it can possibly be. And then when you get the faintest glimmer of hope or goodness, then we can all rejoice about it. What I'll give it credit for is it may be the most beautiful the Wild West has ever looked, in my opinion. I could not believe uh, how stunning the countryside is and the way it's shot, absolutely beautiful. So... It is, I mean, all the way through, it's incredible. Even in the depths of misery, it still looks amazing. But I mean, I think like indulgence works there as well, because I think they just, they probably added in shots while the crew were traipsing around their locations. Like, oh, that's beautiful. Get a shot of that. Get a shot of that. Christian, Christian, go over there. Can you stand? Just stand (laughs) off to the right. If you can look a bit depressed for a minute, we'll get this shot. That's great. Brilliant. One for the holidays, guys. One for the album. Great. Lovely. So that's how you feel. It's like this weird like holiday album snap of the Wild West set to the most miserable story ever. And I, the thing is, like, I wish it had been edited more. And I can't believe it because I think it's Tom Cross and I, I believe he edited La La Land. I might be wrong here. So he's a big deal editor. But it's like every scene draws out the themes to the nth degree so that it almost becomes laughable. It's like we can't just have one shot of Christian Bale reflecting miserably. Let's have 10 and let's make them all last as long as they possibly can so you can see every crinkle of his eye and every tear. Do you know what I'm saying? But you've gone in the past in your previous records of films and podcast stuff. You said sometimes a slow film is a good film but this because isn't, of but this it isn't needs slow to be in slow. the good way. This isn't so this is every scene is indulged in. Every opportunity every scene lasts too long. It either has too many lines or it has too many minutes. I'm all for slow films that take their time. Just have less scenes and let those scenes do the talking. This film either needed a better edit and keep all the content or it needed some stuff cut out because the themes get lost. For example, man. I kind of laughed. There's Rosamund Pike lets out a, a really unearthly scream of loss, right? But it's so drawn out and bleak. There's n- <laughs> like a you don't know what to do with it. A kind so of horrible awkward. chuckle that builds up inside <laughs> you. You can't let out because of the context of the scene. Similarly, Christian Bale continually does this thing where, uh, you know, he's a tough man, Phil. He's a tough man. He's a reserve man. Christian Bale. Yeah, and he doesn't let out his emotions. He doesn't really talk about this unless it's by the campfire with one of his enlisted men, right? So when someone asks him a question and he wants to say yes, he doesn't say yes. Uh, he nods his head. He nods his head like this. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll make a grunt like, like that. That's the sort of thing What's in a film. Great nobody will be able to see or not. <laughs> you can imagine. He's got a big moustache as well. Just Instead of saying yes, ma'am, it's like, like that there you go I did it again <laughs> you did it again like nobody can see you except I'm me I'm still enjoying doing it but like that's the kind of thing you only want to do a couple of times in a film because it's part of his character like it doesn't stop doing it was ridiculous it. every time it? he nods it's like you can make a drinking game out of it <laughs> it's just like please stop doing that so look I'll stop talking about it now I think there is a, there's a potentially good film in here about the relationship between uh, the American settlers and Native Americans and how that, is it possible that to recover from that and recognise humanity in each other and kinship across all these historical and racial boundaries, everything else. Like that's a, it's an interesting theme. I just kind of think it's an old theme. There's nothing new that's added to it with this film. It just takes a really long time to say stuff we've heard before. But you might enjoy it if you're hankering for a Western that is shot beautifully. It gets a B- from me. Okay, next film then, Nine. That wasn't very short, was it? All right, uh, okay, Brad's status. Troy! You have ten minutes. I just gotta put on my clothes. You have, like, the body of a man now. Hey, Dad, can you not be weird? Okay. Can you close my door? Yeah. Can you close the door? Yeah. You're going off to find your college. It's not this special. We're fully booked tonight. How about that one? It's not available. Oh, Looks like it's available. Yeah, it's not. 
that night, my mind drifted back to college. So many friends have become successful. Craig Fisher worked for the White House. Jason Hatfield had his own hedge fund. Billy Wurstler sold his tech company at 40. What do I have? I work for a nonprofit and nothing to show for it. Somebody asked about you. You know, whatever happened to you. Where's Brad? I remember that guy, Brad. You happy? Love Be you. present. All right. I love you. These are competitive schools, Troy. Just try not to put too much pressure on yourself. My counselor thinks that I'll get into pretty much everywhere I apply. The kid's going to Harvard. They'll jinx me, dude. My son is a, a very talented musician. Also composes his own music, so. Wonderful. I'm pretty sure Harvard is uh, gonna be in the running. Oh, you think Harvard's got a chance? Suddenly my thoughts darkened. Troy could easily end up struggling like me. This is Harvard. Even geniuses get rejected. We need to do everything we can. Dan, I'm about to go at my interview. Do you really need to be jumping all over me right now? You're nuts. Do I sound jaded? I started out as idealistic as any of your friends over there. You're 50 years old and you still think that the world was made for you. <laughs> oh, I'm 47. Sometimes I worry that people think of me as a failure. Oh, that's right, you have your little thing. Oh, that is a cool thing that you do. That is good stuff. Everybody's just thinking about themselves. The only person that's thinking about you is me. Isn't it crazy how we made this kid and now he's this brilliant, amazing person? I'm proud of you. Dad, are you having some kind of nervous breakdown or something? I'm so annoyed that I've not got much time to talk about this one now. I wish Take I hadn't spent time. so long talking about boring hostiles. Podcasts don't okay, have a time limit. Okay, okay. I love this film, listeners. And please don't be put off by the trailer. If for any reason you thought, oh, that sounds really cheesy or annoying or too feel-good... Do not be misled. Laurie hates feel-good films. No, no, I, I love them. But like that, the David Bowie track, what a track that is, man, and Queen as well. Like, it doesn't really sell the tone of the film very well. Ben Stiller plays Brad, who is a dad, middle-aged father, who is just worrying about his life, basically. His son is going to Boston to interview for colleges, including Harvard, which he's very excited about. But he is having all this self-doubt because he's looking at his peers from college who include uh, Michael Sheen, Luke Wilson and Jermaine Clement, not as themselves, you understand, uh, who've all become phenomenally successful uh, for various different reasons in politics or in uh, banking or I, I can't remember, like internet.com stuff or whatever it is. And now they live lives of luxury. And uh, also Mike White is one of those guys as well, who is the writer and director of this film. He's Ned Schneebly in School of Rock. Ned Schneebly. That's right. And he plays a director who's had phenomenal success. And Brad is imagining them all having a great time all together because now they're like this elite crew who've all had the same level of success. And here he is having launched a successful non-profit, but, you know, he's not rich or anything at all. So he has this really awkward conversation with his wife, played by Jenna Fisher, right at the beginning, about how much uh, she thinks her parents' house might be worth when they die and would they get the money. Do you know, like, it's kind of... Mm. I thought this film was achingly well-observed, like searingly painful, and not in a Ricky Gervais cringe comedy or even Ben Stiller cringe comedy kind of way, in a kind of a, this is so real, you don't even want to admit it to yourself. Because we don't even really spend that much time with any of the characters. We spend a huge amount of time inside Brad's head. There's a lot of inner monologuing going on, and it is the most shameful thoughts that really, if we're being honest, are real thoughts that fly through your head and they fly out just as quickly, but they're there and they're part of human experience. Like a great example of that is when he describes of his wife, Jenna Fisher, who is just very happy and loves her husband and is proud of him. And he says, oh, she was just so 
easily pleased. And I started to wonder whether maybe her contentment uh, undermined my ambition. <laughs> and it's not like, it's awful, isn't it? It's like, why is my wife so happy? It's probably her fault. I'm not successful, <laughs> which is the most ludicrous thing in the world. But it's kind of, it's so well written. Because it's honest. It yeah, works. like it, it's not just honest. It sort of encapsulates, because maybe we never thought exactly that, but you understand the sort of drive to think like that like and it's so shameful and awful another moment is when he's wondering about his son getting into harvard who seems to be a musical prodigy by the way and then he thinks he he immediately daydreams him and his wife running down the street handing people copies of wired magazine with his son on the front cover saying that's my son that's my son and then it's amazing because it and then it comes back and says and then my thoughts darkened and then he said what if uh, he became so successful that i became jealous of him and then he imagines himself being (laughs) jealous of his own son's success and then he daydreams about that and then after that after he had his monologue he then will say something to his son that is clearly following his train of thought but his son is like dad what are you talking about i'm just about to go into an interview why are you why are you doing this you having a nervous breakdown i i thought the film was absolutely wonderful and i want to disagree with the way the trailer wants to paint its a resolution i don't think the film really resolves in the way that it would appear to and i think it is unusually the stronger for it but there's a moment, I, I, there's so many human moments in it and so many touching moments in it that it really, really needs to be seen. And, you know, it's not in many cinemas. It's not showing in any cinemas in Oxford, I don't think. But I highly recommend that you search it out and prepare yourself to cringe at the realness of everything on there. But you're going to laugh as well. It is really, really funny. So it's Brad and he's a dad and he's feeling bad and a little bit sad because his lad is struggling to get the word. I've run out of stuff. I'm working really hard. What were you thinking about that all the way? I was talking. I was, but I was listening to it, and it sounds like a good film. And I thought, oh, I wish I'd managed to get this joke in earlier, so I could have probably engaged. But no, I'm really. But I spent the time. I spent the time thinking. Much like Brad is in the film, it seems. He's a bit daydreamy. Well, and, uh, yeah. you know, I want to say that because we've talked about The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, which you and I disagree which on. you do not like. I'm not a fan. You are a fan. And then, did you ever see Greenberg? Uh, no, I didn't, know. So that was a film I've got on my list for what I've been watching sometime. That's a Ben Stiller film written by, um, oh, who is it? Noah Baumbach, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. He writes with Wes Anderson sometimes. And he plays a really horrible, unsympathetic character in there who's trying to rebuild his life in Hollywood. Whereas Walter Mitty is this daydreamer. This film is like in between those two things. And I Where think he, it lands on real. Yeah. And it may be the perfect role for Ben Stiller. I rarely seen him as good as this. So I really, really recommend it, especially if you are a father. Don't worry, though, if you're not. It's, you know, it's, I don't relate <laughs> to this. kids, Laurie? <laughs> I don't relate to this. My kids aren't going to college. If anything, it made me imagine my own dad, like when I was applying for universities and things. Oh, because you were um, a brilliant protege. <laughs> no, I certainly was not that. <laughs> but anyway, look, I think it's great. I probably would give it an A-. minus. I thought it was like there were so many possible pitfalls and I really don't think it fell into any of them. And a big shout out to Michael Sheen, who plays Oily Charisma. He's very good at Oily, isn't he? Oh, he's, he's such a good actor. I can't believe he's not acting anymore, but there you go. Going out to save whales or whatever. I think that's right, isn't um, it? Yeah. I think, honestly, my impression is that the, the film won't do that well because of its name. Yeah, it's not a good name. Brad I don't think it's been trailed weird well. Thing to say. It doesn't have a wide release, but that's why I'm telling everyone Brad's you got to go see status. it. Go see it, please. S and S. That's the, a bad I mean, the status thing is it's his status in society, but maybe you'd read it as his Facebook status. You know, what have you been up to recently? That kind of thing. It's my uh, my need to be validated by everyone else. That kind of thing. Yeah, but I think I did that. I did not pick up on that until I saw the trailer. Yeah, well, ignore the title, ignore the trailer. Go see the film. Okay, there you go. High recommendations from Laurie for Brad's status. You can go see it. If you can, go find it and then email Laurie and tell him what you made of his review and the film. Plus ones, minus ones, please. Yes.
What have we been watching this week? Well, what have I been watching this week? <laughs> you're not going to do one, Laura. You changed your mind at the last minute, didn't no, you? No, I noticed we're doing a song again. It's, uh, Sam, it's that's your Sam fault. did it, yeah. So <laughs> there you go. Anyway, listeners, I'm going to cram in one of my films. There's not room for Laurie's intern. I don't think there's enough time. I think the podcast will go on too long. We might as well save content, man. I, uh, I'm okay, go- okay, I am okay. going to review The Intern, so look out for it. I'm going to fit in one film which I found really interesting, which is currently on Netflix and it might even be on Amazon Prime as well and other streaming services. But it's a film which I think is quite a mainstream film that wasn't released in the UK. It's called Bernie. Now, don't play the trailer, Laurie, because I have a suspicion that the trailer could very easily spoil this film. And I think some of the charm is in not really knowing where it's going to well, lead. Well, FYI, you've set it up as if it now contains an amazing twist. No, it's not that sort of film. But I think the whole thing is about what you make of this character. Because this is based on a true story. Oh, right. So it's a real person, a real situation. And it's about this guy, Bernie, who lives in Carthage in Texas. Now, this isn't the Texas that we were doing at the beginning and all deep south. That's no, it's true. not like that. It's the Texas, which is right next to the other state. So it's kind of northern, northwest Texas. Right. No, northeast Texas. I'd forgotten that we did that in the intro. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. It's, yeah. it's Wes Anderson is from Texas, isn't he? And I think like he's, for example, not someone. And Owen Wilson as well. You'd associate with Texas, but they are Texas. Yeah, yeah. So Texas is massive state one of the biggest ones in uh, yeah, yeah, america yeah. and uh this is this is a kind of really idyllic part of the town ta- like of the world it was very rich and wealthy and then people have settled there and carthage the town that bernie's in is one of those towns where everyone knows everyone else okay and bernie is played by jack black and he is the most liked person in all of Carthage. He is a assistant funeral director and he's very good at his job and he takes great care of the people he works for. He seems to be all singing, all dancing, just a lovely fellow. He's all, he does amateur theatre, he directs it, he stars in it and nobody has a bad word to say about him in the whole of the town. And one of the people that he um, helps uh, is uh, Miss Nugent, Nugent or whatever. Nugent, I think it is Nugent, normally, yeah. yeah. And... She is a very wealthy lady whose husband dies and he takes care of her during the funeral and then he keeps on visiting her to check she's all right. He does that with all the ladies right. in the town. And they form a very close friendship, it seems to be. She's very wealthy and so there's they're just a very odd relationship between the two of them. And then the film seems to build up to there being some sort of issue, some sort of criminality going on. Okay. And eventually Bernie is going to end up in court and it's kind of about that. Are you trying I mean, not to spoil it? I don't want to spoil it. And what's really interesting about this film, which I didn't realise until the very end, is it's almost played like a documentary, like a dramatised documentary, where they have these little uh, vignettes, little interviews with people, with like townsfolk from Carthage. And they're saying, oh, Bernie's like this guy and he's, he's a bit of... A bit of and that lady, she's very odd. And, but I don't know, lovely, lovely guy, really nice guy and everything like that. Couldn't say a bad word about him. And um, at the very end of the film, you realise these are real people in the town of Carthage who knew Bernie. And um, well, not on the screen though. You mean they're pl- uh, characters? No, no, no. They're real. They're the actual town. No, you're kidding. He's recorded, and you don't pick but it then, up. Like in the trailer, but we saw that was Matthew McConaughey. There. Yeah. So the 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 dramatisation of Bernie's story and um, Matthew McConaughey pops up as well as a as a lawman and everything like that. That part is actors, but the vignettes, the little interviews that they have, they're are real, real people. Real people who knew Bernie. 
So should you have told us that? Because that sounds like the sort of thing that would have been fun to know at the end of a film. Well, possibly, but I think it changes the way you relate to the film because I found it a bit weird. I was like, why are they doing it this format? Like, why are they having these random like interviews? Because the whole film plays out with these little got it, got cuts. It, got it. Okay. It's like their punctuation Fair throughout enough. the film. Yep, yep, yep. Um, Jack Black see- steals the show. He's really good in it. He's really bizarre and you don't ever quite know what you think of him. Is he this wonderfully charming human being or is he actually, there's something a bit dodgy about him but shady about him? And it, and it teeters brilliantly. You don't really know what to make of him. And then Matthew McConaughey is just in there a little bit, but he's got a very minor part. It is really all about Jack Black. It's kind of bizarrely funny and at the same time unsettling. And Bernie as a character is very difficult to place. And I think it, it connects with audiences in a very... I would imagine it would connect with audiences in a very deep way because everyone seems to know that person, which you're just not sure about. Yeah, okay. And you don't know really, like, are they as nice as they seem? Are they, like, maybe they're a bit dodgy? I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah, and yeah. The, and the whole film, you don't really know what to make of him as a character of, of Bernie. What is he actually like? It's quite slow, um, but the fact that it's a true story, I think, should pull you through. And it is intriguing. It gets more and more intriguing as the film goes on. Uh, directed by Richard Linklater, the guy behind uh, Everyone yeah, Wants Some. Yeah, I give him any confused. time of day, anything he releases, I'll be interested because I really liked Everybody Wants Some and he's one of the few who seems to have a very, like, well, maybe not a clear voice, but someone who will always have a degree of freedom others appear to lack. Yeah, he's he's a, he's a competent filmmaker almost every time, I'd say. Yeah. Um, so I would check it out if you can. If you can, go on the streaming services and check it out. I almost guarantee it's one of those films which has gone under your radar because yeah, it wasn't heard released of it. theatrically. And yet it's got some big stars. It's well made. It's interesting. It's a bizarre story. What's the grade? I'm going to give it a... Now you're going to say, what? I'm going to give it a B. I think it's a solid movie that I think for free, if you do have those services, <laughs> is really worth your time. And you might skip it because you think... Psh, it, like the, well, the, I mean, it's, maybe you skip it after you gave it a B. Do you want to explain that? Quickly <laughs> well, as in, like, I think the thing is, it's just a very odd. It's an odd film. I don't know really how to categorize it. I'm glad to have seen it. That's what I feel. Okay, but it's an odd film, and it's not something necessarily I want some to see again. But because it's this unusual thing where people don't really know about it, you could watch it and be genuinely surprised by it. All right, intrigued You've intrigued me, man. I mean, you've intrigued me to the point where I'm going to finish the trailer and I. My finger will be hovering over the Wikipedia entry. <laughs> I okay, that's fine. Well, all right. Okay, all right. Good stuff. Uh, so I won't do the intern this week, listeners. I'm sorry if that's a disappointment to you. I will do it next week. But basically, I want to make sure we've got time to hear your emails and tweets, which are coming up next. Anything else you want to say, Phil? Uh, just get in touch, superbabybros at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at superbabybros. All right. Emails and tweets. Phil, song? Okay, here we go. It's the time of the show where we inbox we will go to check whether or not you sent us anything. And of course you have, because you're very nice. Emails and tweets are now. It's like three verses. Oh, right, I don't know. I feel like I, I feel this actually the first I think I, one. I think I need to take on like a break, like an absence. You know, you're doing very well. I re- I enjoy it. I just thought I was waiting to come in, but then there, there was the second verse. <laughs> you never see the second verse coming. No, do you? I really, really didn't. Listeners, thank you for being in touch. It's great uh, to have stuff from you. And we're going to start straight away with Gavin. Dear Laurie and Phil, return of a new rogue Phantom Jedi striking back is the title of the email. And this is sort of a tease for our Star Wars email special, which is coming up with John Spirit as well. Uh, this one is so short and sweet. I thought it was, you know, a nice one to... And also it goes in line with us a little bit. Yeah. Thank you for your review on the most recent Star Wars film. When exiting the cinema at two in the morning, I thought it might just about have scraped adequacy. 
However, when I listened to your review, you made me realise I was wrong. And actually, I hated it with my whole being. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Uh, From Gavin. Well, look, we appreciate the email. I don't know that I hate it with my whole being, but wow. I mean, give us more I think you really did at the time. You really, really did hate it. I didn't hate it. I I think you did. The thing is, it felt like, it just felt like it was gone. It was like the ship had, it was watching the ship sail away from me. Not so much that the ship had sunk. (laughs) Do you see what I mean? (laughs) But it just got away from me. Just sailed away from me. It's left, left me behind i'm no longer a passenger listeners if you like that little snippet of star wars chat do listen to that email show and please do get in your thoughts uh dissenting or agreeing we would like them both yes we would thanks for that gab uh one here from james t hi guys happy new year to you both just some quick things from your 2017 review number one why was baby driver in neither of your top five films of the year and also how have neither of you seen et uh, just not not a family classic, is it? Unless you watch it as a kid, why would you watch it? E.T., you mean? Mm. Yeah. And Baby Driver, I wonder if we... It slightly got overshadowed as, as the film year went on, and I wonder if Kevin Spacey being in it was slightly like a sticky point. And, um, yeah, I think I liked Baby Driver. I had a good time, but then uh, I haven't really thought about it since. No, I'd agree with that. And I think at the time uh, Phil and I reviewed it, we both felt that the third act kind of went a bit awry and it was a bit classic Edgar Wright over the top and everything else but in a way that wasn't as satisfying as the rest of the film promised because the opening was so slick and I thought so much of the script and the performances and just the charisma of the cast was perfect I had a really high expectations, so I didn't really buy the last third and then you didn't like Lily James did you? No I didn't think she was right and that's where she comes into the story a bit more and also I've been thinking about it and I think the music isn't that well chosen really. I don't oh, really I disagree about that. I don't remember thinking the music was great. I never thought, oh, this is a really good song to You're have. You're kidding. I I really thought that because well, they play Egyptian reggae, which is a song no one else knows. And I I've played it to you. It's one of I my know that shows. one. I'm so I know, cool. I know. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. I was what like, else? Oh. I, I think the the reason to watch Baby Driver is for how they shot the driving. And there wasn't actually that much driving in it. And I think the music, um, which was so integral to the story, isn't actually the best chosen sort of tracks. Well, I think you're sad. I which makes me think again. I'm slightly soured to it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, Maybe I need to do this much. Like just I, scratch the record back. Do one of those no, like rewind remixes of James, what I've just said. What you need to do, James T, is listen back to our review of it and then, you know, see where the fill is. You know, whether you really have soured. I Tell will us. watch it again. That's what I promise. I will okay. watch it again before the year is out. Number two, he says, are there any 2018 films you cannot wait for? I can't wait to see three billboards from Martin McDonough. Release date keeps changing though. Well, I believe it will be out next Friday. I mean, oh, no, no, this Friday. Yeah, I saw it uh, yesterday, two days ago. I can't remember when. <laughs> Time uh, is a concept. <laughs> yeah, we know. Keep looking forward to it. I shan't spoil a thing until I've reviewed it on BBC Oxford. Uh, which would have been yesterday because this will be out on Friday. <laughs> you're, you're, you're so out of the loop with timing, so I can't handle it. <laughs> so annoying. Uh, but we'll review it next week as well because I have already seen it. Uh, 2018 films, Phil? Um, I am looking forward to seeing how much of a train wrecks the Han Solo movie will be. Yeah, I think that's going to cause a little bit of a storm. Isn't that going to be out in the summer as well? Like yeah, it's in like May or something like oh, that. Oh, actually, Rogue One out, was out in December. Yeah, no, no, this is going to be I a think summer this release. Is, they've always been trying to push for the, the classic Star Wars release, which is in the May bank holiday in America, but for whatever reason, they've always been pushed back to December. Well, 2017 had a record low summer, didn't it? So, And, and actually, winter and Christmas films totally outperformed the summer. So maybe, well, who knows what the schedule will do. So that's a bit of a negative way of looking at it. Um, I'm quite excited for Avengers Infinity War, in all honesty. Mm. 
<laughs> I'm, re- I'm excited about Incredibles 2. And yeah, I'm that's really going to be a big curious one. about Mary Poppins and the Freddie Mercury biopic as well. Yeah, I think I kind of stopped anticipating movies in that sense. I more just like to let them roll over like the tide. Fantastic. I don't know what two. I'm saying. <laughs> this is That's sort of too many. This is you, you can't tell. Phil and I kind of take it as it comes a little bit. And and I, I like doing it that way because then when something really spectacular happens, it happens right then and it stands out more. I try and avoid as much hype as I can, to be honest, James, because it influences stuff a bit too much for in me. In some ways, it's kind of like, oh, what am I seeing this week? Okay, cool. Yeah, something like that. Um, number three, good quiz questions. Well done, Phil. Uh, made me remember the first lines of movies quiz you did a while ago and in that you asked what is the first line in goodfellas my favorite film of all time he says one of you said as far back as i can remember as far back as i can remember i always wanted to be a gangster that one which was given as correct in actual fact yeah i know i got it wrong i I remember (laughs) listening back to that and thinking and then i watched like a bit of goodfellas yeah it's wrong it's uh what the bleep is that yeah uh, it's when they have the opening when they're like going to the 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 boot of the car and stuff like that yeah uh source about that well I mean, I can see why that wouldn't have made the cut on the family show. So, you know, but look at look at this funny story that we've got out of it all, Phil. So I say well done to you <laughs> and to James. Uh, there we go. Good pub trivia knowledge that. Yes, I agree. Yeah, that is good trivia knowledge, yeah. Are you very cool. You said I got three. I think I got five in the end. Well, so in all honesty, I didn't know how many of those were you going to edit out or whatever. I left so... them all in, of course. <laughs> you put them all in. <laughs> so, yeah, you did well. Yeah, thanks very much for that, Phil. Uh, he says, looking forward to season three. Well, I hope you're happy with it so far. <laughs> <laughs> Two episodes in. James T. P.S. Here's to putting Will Smith out of business in 2018. Literally all his 2018 stuff looks so awful. Oh, dear. I, I might feel a little bit sorry for Change.org po- uh, petition online, he says. What does fund uh, Will Smith's <laughs> Stop him acting. Well, James T., you know Phil and I slightly disagree with you on this. You know, I haven't seen Bright yet. Have you? Uh, I've been meaning to I've heard it is not very good oh really I thought people were saying it was great I think it's done well on Netflix so people watch it I think it's interesting when people don't have that same um, there's less of a observation of what you're spending your money on and less pressure to go see a film when it's at home Netflix you'll forgive it a bit more you mean yeah I think you just watch it and so Netflix is is less interested I think in going for what is critically acclaimed and more interested in going with what people want to watch it's interesting that because I I sort of find the opposite way I find it much easier to switch off stuff I find boring on Netflix yeah I do think it's it's slightly cheapened movies uh, ironically Mm. and um, it's made TV much better well we'll wait and see okay one here from Confucius happy new year loved your belated Christmas special also the new year episode season three episode one 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 <laughs> with three super baby bros gotta start thinking about training up super baby babies to join the podcast <laughs> do you know what that's an idea i had as far back as when we started the show Literally episode one you were talking about that baby a, review. An idea baby review <laughs> i still like the idea but in practice it's quite tough to get that one right so yeah. i'll wait and see uh, i finally got around and caught up with some of the films you recommended from last year and the year before just to name two for now justice league ready for this film yep surprisingly I actually enjoyed this one. And to be honest, as Laurie challenged the listener to be honest with their feelings, I think I enjoyed it more than The Last Jedi, if I'm really, really being honest, which is a controversial thing to say. And I did enjoy The Last Jedi. I'm taking that to say that that's how bad The Last Jedi was. That's how I'm taking that. Well, he said he enjoyed it, though. He said, I actually enjoyed it. And to be honest, says an and in there. He enjoyed it and it's better than The Last Jedi. I don't know. Clear about that. Thanks, Confucius. I do have a couple extra things to rant about Justice League, though. I actually have five, but thought two might be enough for today. Number one, hello. What was that? The DC version of Marvel's The Avengers? Alien Invasion? Bad Boss, who's actually just a pawn of the bigger boss? Stephen Wolf versus Loki, Darkseid, Thanos, and the minions of both films descending from the sky and flying around? 
I mean, yeah, I mean, this isn't, this is a classic by now, isn't it? I mean, DC has uh, moved over to try and copy Marvel's tone, so they're well stop copy the plot rubbing. as well, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, brass rubbing is very appropriate. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit smudgy, you know what I mean? Like, they're, they're not even trying. Rubbing. I mean, this is how superhero rubbing. films are. That's very good, Laurie. Well done. Oh, thanks, Phil. Thanks very much. Uh, number two, the opening cell phone scene, horrible, horrible, and Superman's facial structure reminded me of Hugo Weaving. I really felt like that was the... I, I, I almost feel like the whole film was just crumbling after that point the opening cell phone scene was to start so with such a, yeah I, just, I really when i saw that i thought what what is this going to be i was i was forgot about it and i was really glad to forget because once the actual film started and it was the, the what i think of as the opening scene is batman on the rooftops which i quite liked so anyway look, we won't do I feel this like again. batman was that that works better as like a prologue whereas this was like a prologue to a prologue and so the movie never really started, I don't think. Maybe like. they wanted to get his ridiculous moustache oh, problem I out just of the way straight away. Why would you start with that? That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, your name, Phil, he says. Okay. Plus one to brothers Sam and Phil. And if I'm allowed, a bonus point to Sam for watching the original with subtitles. I just watched it and I couldn't believe I waited that long to see it. Because for a while, I was quite tired of the same old, same old anime, but really, really enjoyed this one. Very refreshing indeed. A question for you and other bros and pixels out there, with your love for Japanese anime and maybe any other foreign films, would you rather watch in the original language with English subtitles or watch the English dubbed version? I rarely come across a film that does nearly perfect dubbing, and maybe that's why many film companies would rather buy the rights to the scripts and adapt them to make local versions and have more potential to make more money. When you played the English dub trailer of your name, that gave me a shiver up my spine. Cringe, cringe, goosebumps all over the floor. I'm gonna, uh, goosebumps on the floor. <laughs> goosebumps dropping off. Skin's falling off. Um, There's I, a couple of questions in there. There's number one, do you like uh, original language with English subtitles? And do you think they do English language, you know, remakes for, to make it easier? Uh, well, they are remaking your name, as we said last week. J.J. Abrams, you said. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think... I don't mind the dubbing. I know that's a really controversial opinion and people say, oh no, it completely ruins the story and everything like that because they have to match the flaps of the the animation to to match English and everything. Um, I don't know. It just doesn't bother me. It all depends on the quality of the the voice work, really. I think I really love the uh, voice work in How's Moving Castle. I think Billy Crystal as Calcifer in that film was brilliant. He was I wouldn't have got Calcifer's characterization really at all. Uh, without it being Billy Crystal, and I think Hal as Christian Bale, like you don't really get his mood uh, in the. I think you do lose something uh, in uh, reading the words rather than hearing them performed. I think that you cannot deny there is a performance in the voice work, and so I hesitate to then, completely dismiss English dubbing. Can you not hear some level of performance in the Japanese language as you read? Yeah, but I don't think you would pick up on the subtler things. It makes it much more. I don't know, it just kind of caps the emotions that you can understand and process, I think. And maybe that's just me, but I think there isn't... I'm not saying I would never, ever watch subtitles at all. I do like reading subtitles and watching films, but I think there is some part for voice dubbing to play. Think, yeah, I'm definitely mixed on this because a dubbed live-action film, I, I can't watch those, basically. like If it's a Chinese movie, Japanese, whatever, I've got to watch it with the subtitles. I think that's because you really can tell it doesn't match. That's the thing, but with animation, there's just a bit more flexibility, elasticity, 
intensity. It's a you bit can... grayer, isn't it? And I think what you're also maybe thinking, Phil, maybe you're not thinking this, but this is something I think, <laughs> what a terrible sentence. Because we watch like Pokemon when we were eight, then you get used to that mode of speech and that mode of adaptation really early on. So when you watch dubbed animes, you know it's familiar rather than strange, I think. Where, you know, you're not going to get... Pokemon would never have had the worldwide success it's had if it was a subtitled anime, would it? No, but I do, I do quite like the anime voiceover. Sometimes they can be quite fun. They've always got their own style altogether, uh, slightly overly emoting and 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 saying a bit too on the nose dialogue. I, I don't know. It's, I have it's a the sort of weird pitch that was in your name trailer. They go like that, and then the sentence cuts off like on a high note. That's that's very you know. Yeah, I I don't know. I think there's a part for it to play. I'm sure lots of people say, "Oh, I can't believe you said that because of this, this, and this." If you feel that, get in touch. Well, there we go, listeners. All the emails and tweets for this week. Keep them coming in. Looking forward to hearing from you. And of course, remember to tell us your thoughts on our reviews earlier on. If you thought I was too harsh on all the money in the world and the hostiles, and you thought I was dead wrong to love Brad's status so much, then fling the minus ones my way. But if you agree with me, I'm looking for three plus ones. Send them in. Send them in. So you're going to do much better because you've got this whole radio shindig and you go see all these movies in preview format as well. I think you're just going to rake in the points like you, you did last year. Look at your raised eyebrows. What do you want me I'm to say? I'm despondent. That's what, I'm, that's what my raised eyebrows are. see the films, man. I'm trying. We recorded it. We record it so much later. You've got plenty of time. I'm trying my best. Uh-huh. I saw Jumanji and I didn't even talk about oh, it. Oh yeah, I want you to as well. Let's do that next week. <laughs> okay. Episode three, season two, over and out. I, it's a shame that the, a lot of the films weren't so good this week. They were kind of either contentious or needed a lot of explaining or just weren't very good. I, felt. I think that's interesting though. I hope so. <laughs> I really hope so. <laughs> I think uh, there's some interesting films out to see at the moment. So yeah, I, you like Brad's status. I did, but it's not out in Oxford. So, you know, I hope it is Hunt out it wherever down. you are, listener. Do watch it. If you go to Milton Keynes, go to Reading, yeah, wherever you may need on, to go. So many places to go. Uh, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Thanks for the emails and tweets we received. Uh, thanks to all our Patreon sponsors. Please send us plus ones, minus ones, thoughts, comments, whatever. Do tell us whether there are any little technical movie things that you find you keep noticing and whether that annoys you or whether you're glad about it because it gives you that little shiver of, oh, I know what's happening here, that kind of thing. We'd love to know about that. Uh, anything you want to say, Phil, before we sign out? Last chance to get in your Star Wars comments and thoughts. That's right. Really excited about that one. John Spirit is going to be a great guest, so one to really look forward to. If we uh, definitely manage to make it work. Yeah, it's looking like you got to put that little bit of salt on, you know. You've also been optimistic as well, haven't you? Come on, man. Come on. <laughs> All right. Bye, listeners. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, bonus time. It's a really short one from me. Can good, I just slip it in good. there and you do something else to buff it up? Go on right ahead. Uh, do you ever find it weird? It's grapes and then there's grapefruit and... The fact that n- there's no discernible reason why that is the case. The thing is, there probably is a real and p- possibly boring reason. Compare why. the grape <laughs> and then compare the grapefruit. <laughs> like, what on earth is related there? I'm trying to think about it. Maybe the colour, maybe the way in which they grow. I don't know. Neither of us are horticulturalists. Well. Like, what on earth is going on there? Who thought that looks like a grapefruit? But this is a, a common thing, isn't it? Like, <laughs> also, grape is a fruit. Have you, do you remember Grape Nuts? Yeah, why are they called Grape Nuts? Well, I mean, that's a brand, isn't it? So that's not, you know, that's a bit different. But I think there's nothing grapey about it. But I think, they, <laughs> well, I don't know the answer. But I think it's something to do with they just thought it looked like it. There are loads of things like this, man, that make no sense. But I'm afraid I can't shed any lights on that. You know, there's a, a service you might not have heard of called uh, G-O-O-G-L-E. And uh, if you ask it a question, it often has an answer for you. Okay. I thought that was Ask Jeeves. 
Ask Jeeves. Do you remember Ask Jeeves? I do. The what, search engine. Well, what would you like to search for, sir? <laughs> what could I find for you, sir? Do you know, I really, I genuinely think our parents liked it more because it was polite. Because you could ask him the question. Excuse me, Jeeves. <laughs> yeah. What Comma. is this? Yeah, you, and you had to put the question mark in. That's right. You couldn't yeah, just yeah. search for something. Be Google, very clear on the Google just like, mm, yeah. I feel lucky. Yeah, too tedious. Google's too modern. None of this. Get Jeeves Ugh. on the case. Jeeves yeah. always knows. He's, he's always there. I yeah. think that that's a sign. Maybe our parents like Clippy as well. You know, the little friendly. Oh, no, that the Microsoft Word. <laughs> What are you trying to do today? I don't have a mouth, but I've got eyes and eyebrows. Now, Microsoft Word and I don't get on still to this day. But because of Clippy. Get... <laughs> no, I don't invite Clippy to the party anymore. Get uh, up, Clippy. Uh, I've, I've got one for you, Phil. I was going to do this one last week as well. I was in the supermarket because it had a post office in it, and I was trying to get some stuff sent for Christmas, and that meant I was queuing for ages. And so I, could, I scanned quite a few of the shelves to see some of the Christmas specials that were being sold, and I was transfixed. Uh, by some board games that oh, yeah. I saw in the game shelf. And I'd like you to read you the names of these board games. So number one was Who's Who. <laughs> have, you, have you ever played that game? I've never played Who's Who. Who's, are, you, are you sure you haven't? Are you Who? No, Who's Who. The next one was called Line Up 4. <laughs> have you played Line Up 4? Connect 4, but No, Phil, it's, line, it's a different game. It's called Line Up 4. Have you not played Line Up 4? No, I've never it's played Line Up 4. It's classic. And then how about Chase Escape? Have you, have you not played Chase, Chase Escape? Escape? Have you played Chase Escape? I, I love it so much because they're not even trying. They're not even <laughs> trying to do anything else. Who's who? <laughs> Line up four. Like Line more, up four is incredible. It's almost like an aggressive sales tactic. Like, yeah, we know you know this is Connect Four. We know they know this is Connect Four. We don't care. We're going to sell it and pay the flipping lawsuit. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? I, just, like, I love <laughs> We know. You know. It doesn't matter. Just no, connect the four. Oh, no. Line up the four. For Christmas. <laughs> it would even work as a novelty gift. I loved it so much. But it made me also think, can you come up with similar names for famous board games uh, to sell them uh, in a totally knockoff way? Uh, there, well, there's crosswords, which then becomes uh, words going across and down. Words going across and down. Is that Scrabble you mean? <laughs> well, no, I just think, like, just make crosswords. What's crosswords? Is that a game? Like, well, it's a, it's a sort of game, isn't it? Fill it in a puzzle. I suppose it is. I mean, this has already happened with Scrabble, though, talking about Scrabble, which is words with friends. Words with friends? Yeah, that was the knockoff on uh, Facebook. They got, they oh, got really? sued, didn't they? Yeah, words with you didn't play Is words with friends. No, it was like the number one app on Facebook or whatever. Was it back in the day? Words with friends. <laughs> words with friends. But I was thinking, you know, strategy in black and white. Strategy is that chess? No, it's strategy in black and white. It's a totally different game. It's military strategy <laughs> on the black and white uh, playing surface. Oh right, okay, yeah. And Phil, have you ever played Marble in Sticks? Marble in Sticks? What's yeah, Marble in Sticks? Yeah, that was a really good game, Marble in Sticks. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> what about uh, Mammal Eat? Are you getting the theme of this game? Sorry, what was that? Mammal Eat Stuff. Mammal Eat Stuff. Yeah, that's a good one. Mammal Eat Stuff is great. How many How many stuff can you eat really quickly? They're very, very hungry mammals. It's <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, how about, as a last one, stab the sailor in a barrel? <laughs> Overload the dog. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Phil, you and I need to go into business on this because if, if that supermarket can get away with it, we'd line up flipping four. Then line you up bet flipping we four. Can. <laughs> What's the name? Adaptation. Stephen King, is it? Not Stephen King. <laughs> Who is it? Who is his name? Um, Tom Clancy. 